Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feiberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscapes of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Kelly Halpin, a professional mountain runner professional illustrator, and self-proclaimed nature nerd. We talked about creative ways to get kids outside, the juxtaposition of flow and perfectionism, and why it's important to be able to suffer well. Good afternoon, Kelly, and thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And officially, today is Valentine's Day, the the day for love, and you are a woman with a lot of loves. mountain running, snowboarding, illustration, kids books, foraging. What else did I miss? I don't know. I, I guess that, that covers it. I'm just a super nerd. <laughs> um, what do you say no to? Uh, I know that list is pretty, pretty broad, but is there anything that's, that's like on the absolutely no for Kelly or never again for Kelly? Um, usually it would be watching some kind of a sports game. Although I appreciate soccer and I did watch the World Cup and I actually watched, sort of watched the Super Bowl. (laughs) The the sports ball game? The sports ball game, meaning I watched it as in I was in a house with a bunch of friends and we watched the halftime show. Mm. And that was, but I feel like I kind of crossed a line where I was like, okay, like I'm trying something new. I'm going to sort of pretend like I'm watching a football game, which I don't care much for, but you know, the camaraderie around it was really fun and I enjoyed myself. You are a trailbreaker. So maybe this is a new path for you. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Well, look, it's really great to connect. And, um, you know, myself and my daughter have been on the receiving end of a few of your amazing books and, uh, at the risk of it coming off like Oprah book club, you know, we have them here and, uh, we've got the first one here, uh, Silas in the last forest. And we also have the most recent edition and, uh, wildlife in the Tetons. And so just real quick, you know, like the Silas book came out in, I think 2019 is when we grabbed it from you. And, uh, and the most recent one is from 2022 in terms of, how you've changed as a creator, you know, in terms of the intentions or the, um, the reasoning for Silas in the forest, um, versus kind of how you've shown up for this, for this most recent edition, what would you say is maybe shifted in you and you, whether it's your artistic style or maybe even your intentions for putting the book out? Oh man. I mean, in some ways the books are in two different categories, whereas one is a, a narrative story, like a make-believe, um, you know, a future where, humans just don't go outside anymore, which we're getting closer and closer to that, that reality. (laughs) And the second one is just a pretty basic uh, wildlife guidebook for kids in the area. I would say that I've gotten a lot more efficient at uh, creating artwork for children's books in that time span. Um, I've certainly come up with a bunch of new ideas for stories, but in the meantime, I figured I could do some wildlife guidebooks um, because it's in some ways slightly less creative because I'm basically just, you know, making a list of 
of the local animals, but it's still really fun. And I love the process for both of them. Um, and I'm excited to create both more guidebooks and more storybooks in the future. And obviously writing a book is there's the writing component, not just the illustration side of it. And have you always been a writer? I used to write a lot when I was little. I used to write stories. I was trying to write books when I was really young. And in high school and college, I got really into writing short stories. So that was a favorite thing for me to do, even in my free time, which seems crazy now because I, I probably wouldn't do that now um, unless I'm writing a, a like a story for a children's book. But um, yeah, I don't know. I love storytelling, both visually and and through words and uh, it's, uh, I don't know, writing children's books is really fun. And yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I think I, I have always loved like all forms of, of telling stories. And when, and having never written and I'm the worst drawer uh, on the planet, when you're, when you approach that book, it, you know, did the, did the writing part of it come easier or harder than the, than the illustration do you think for you? Well, I had the basic story in mind. I think overall writing it was tricky because I'm trying to get across a, a theme for, for young children. And that can be tricky because you have to make it really simple and as profound as you can make it in a simple way. And you have to keep it under 500 words if you want anyone to read it, including parents to their kids. So I'd say... It was it was tricky editing it down afterwards because I kind of like, you know, threw out the story as, you know, just start to finish. And then I started like honing it in and honing it in. And then I had multiple friends who were editors come through and be like, OK, actually, like this is this is better or this is better here. And, you know, in hindsight, I probably would have changed a couple of things. I probably would have made the story a little bit longer, but I figured it was really my first real book that I was fully publishing uh, and writing and illustrating so I was kind of like just just get it out there just get the just get the book out there and you can like come up with better stories later and you know so in some ways like you know I'm like oh, I should have gone back and like tweaked it here and here but uh, the other side I'm like happy I just got it out there and it's really helped me like hone in the process of getting a book out there so I well, yeah <laughs> yeah well look I mean I bring it up because you know as a dad who has read a lot to to now my six-year-old there are definitely books that the kids just don't connect with and not because the story's not great or the illustrations aren't cool it's because the of the way that the book is written right so the the length of the sentences or the the flow and the pace right you know on one hand you've got dr seuss that's just super rhythmic and fun and interesting and quirky and then you've got stuff that's just all the right words but it just goes on and on and the kids just tune out. And I actually think you did a, as a, definitely not a book editor or critiquer, uh, you know, watching how my daughter resonated with it it, 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 you hit it. I mean, I don't know that I'm sure everything can be made better, but in terms of just a book that she wanted to read more than once, uh, it, it, you nailed it in that way. And I actually think that the story has, you know, she, she loves to be outside by, by just her personality and style. And it's part of our life, but I do think she, she's brought it up a few times. Um, you know, she's oh, daddy, can I watch a show? And I said, no, no, I'm not going to watch a show. And she'll push back a little bit. And I'm like, Oh, you remember Silas? Like what happened with Silas? And it's this great sort of teachable moment, which uh, I'm sure was probably, uh, you know, one of the goals obviously is to get, get kids outside. And I know that's a, that's a place you like to spend a lot of time. 
Oh, I'm so happy that she likes it. That that means the world to me. <laughs> um, um, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm I'm a perfectionist, so I always I always want to go back and and fix things. But um, I'm I'm glad it's out there, and I'm glad your daughter your daughter likes the book, and that makes me really happy. Totally. And uh, I'll say for this one too, um, you know, the, the pictures and the discussion around the different animals and, you know, she hasn't been back to Jackson in the summer for a few years. Right. And just the difference between say a two and a three-year-old versus now a six-year-old. I'm excited to sort of bring this book back when we, when next time we visit and, and kind of wander her around the Valley a little bit and, and we can, uh, we can use the book as our field guide. Oh, yay. Awesome. So, <laughs> So in terms of, you know, the way that your art and, um, you know, creative pursuits are out there in the world, right? You have this stuff for kids in the, in the book form. Are there other things that you get your hands into? Uh, I know that, you know, you you do art in a lot of other ways, but, but specifically for kids, uh, is there any other thing that you're sort of tapping into? Uh, for children specifically? Mm-hmm. Uh, not besides doing fun little cartoons for, for kids I know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I like to I like to draw things for kids, um, and I also like the the children's book aspect. And I do illustrate children's books for authors too. So, I've I think I've illustrated 10, 10 books now in total. Um, so I mean, I I do feel like that kind of you know goes to goes to the kids as well. Nice. And in uh, around the community of Jackson, I feel like I've seen you know pictures of murals and things that you've put up uh, around town. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I've done a I've done a mural. Um, there's an electrical box in East Jackson that has my artwork on it. <laughs> I didn't have too much to do with that other than I got selected to have my art on a electrical box and it's still there. So. Oh, nice. I that drove, wasn't, drove by it earlier. That wasn't just you in the middle of the night going and uh, and tagging something in Jackson. No, but when I lived in Los Angeles, I used to do that. Nice. Nice. Um, you know, so I know you, you know, again, as a, as a woman who has a variety of different passions and interests and, and amazingly, you know, pretty accomplished across a lot of these, right? So, you know, you're a professional mountain runner, uh, you're pretty serious, if not professional climber too, correct? I wouldn't call me a professional climber, but I've been climbing most of my life. Perfect. Well, thank you for correcting me. I realize there's a, there's a distinction, right? So, uh, I wasn't sure where, where in the, in the hierarchy you were and then, you know, pretty, pretty avid snowboarder as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pretty avid snowboarder. And then I obviously see things that, that the internet shows me around you foraging and hunting and all sorts of things in the, um, what are your favorite things to go and gather? Mushrooms. Why? Uh, I don't know. I just think fungus is really interesting and it's really rewarding because you can go out and find different species throughout the summer season. Um, our season in Jackson is is really short. It's not like the Pacific Northwest where you have a, a much longer mushroom season. Um, ours is like pretty much from end of May until maybe October if you're lucky. Uh, so it's it's kind of precious time, but it's it's really cool to see like the different varieties pop up throughout the different months of the summer. And I don't know, it's like cool to go out and like harvest morels and chanterelles and porcinis and then make dishes for your friends when you come home. And I don't know, there's just something like very primal and rewarding about that. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, you know, I'm always fascinated by sort of the approach or the ways and people, the ways that people are being able to be successful or peak performers across these different aspects of life. So 
you know, the, what would you say if you could come up with like the description for how your mindset is when you're out there foraging versus when you're putting in a fastest known time on a mountain run versus when you're, you know, over your, you know, pen and paper making a, you know, making a kid's book, like what's the, what's the foraging mindset for you? Well, in a way it's all exploration, uh, for going out and foraging mushrooms, berries, or, or hunting. Um, I hunt archery, so I'm out like slowly creeping around with, uh, with a bow. It's just very peaceful. You're in a flow state. You're just fully present and listening and watching. And it's really similar to running for me where I'm also in a flow state. I'm just moving a lot faster and I'm looking at the landscape in a, just a slightly more fast forwarded time. Um, but other than that, it's, it's really similar to me. Like they're just, it's just about being outside, finding a flow state, enjoying yourself, uh, enjoying whatever landscape you're in. And with art, it's also exploration. You know, I might have an idea of what I'm going to draw, but in the end, it usually is, is different than what I had originally had in mind. And it's like a form of adventure. And, and when you say flow state, it, would you also say it's, is meditative? Mm -hmm. Absolutely meditative. Yeah. Um, just different forms of meditation, you know, create creatively on paper, it, you know, that's one aspect, but then when you're out running, it's, it's completely different. And you're also constantly watching for animals as well, you know? Um, and then if you're just out wandering around foraging, it's, it's, you know, the same thing, just much, much slower. And, uh, I love, I love every single aspect of all of those, uh, different ventures. Awesome. And, you know, with the juxtaposition against that sort of meditative flow versus the perfectionist. And again, as someone who's not an artist, I, you know, I can imagine some of the detailed things you do, you want to get them right. You want to get them perfect. How does that buck up against the pursuit of flow and, and meditative, um, mindset? Uh, I think it's a challenge. I mean, after I finish a run or a piece of art, I'm like, I could have done that better. I could have done that better. But when, when you're in the present moment, it's, it's so beautiful, no matter what the outcome is that, you know, it kind of doesn't really matter. Nice. Hence the, uh, I guess that's why, you know, mountain runners or ultra runners or everybody's constantly redoing their runs or trying to get the fastest known time. Uh, I would imagine that's a, that's a fire that burns no matter, no matter what. It is. Yes. I, I go back and try to, even if I have the, um, like the fastest time on a certain segment on like Strava or an FKT on a route. I, if I know I can take my time down, I want to go back and do it again. Cause so, I'm like, I know I can do it. Like I can do it better. I know where I screwed up. I know how, it, and it's just, it just drives me crazy. I'm like, Oh, come on. And is that part of how you've always been or just since you've started doing these these mountain running, uh, pursuits, or did you find yourself kind of wired that like that, even as a, as a youngster? Yeah, I think in some ways as a youngster, I was, I was like that, um, mostly with artwork. I would get really mad if I tried to do a painting and I screwed it up and I'd be like, it's ruined. I have to start again. I hate it. You know? And my mom would be like, it's okay. Like it's a painting. You can just keep painting on it and like, it. and I'd be like, no, it's ruined. I got to start again. Um, <laughs> I haven't thought about that for a long time or made that comparison before. So that's a, 
that's kind of fun. Um, and then I think with climbing, because I was, I started climbing at age six. I do remember, especially in college, when I started competing in climbing, I really um, wanted to get uh, these like prop bouldering problems, like perfect. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about getting to the top of the problem for me, like, and, you know, tapping the top. It was about doing it in the most efficient, beautiful way possible. Like moving my body like a dancer on the wall. Like it had to look and feel effortless, mm -hmm. not a struggle. Um, so I suppose I've, I've had that mindset for a long time. Uh, and then growing up, did you do mostly individual sports or were you ever on uh, team activities, whether sports or, you know, arts or what have you? Uh, I always did art as far as, as far, uh, excuse me, as far as sports go, I played soccer for a couple of years and that was fun. My dad's a soccer fanatic. So, you know, that was, that was really cool. My sister plays soccer. I played tennis for a little bit. I played basketball. Um, but mostly I was climbing as soon as, uh, you know, from age six onward and I competed in equestrian events. So how do you, how do you feel about the, and I don't think there's a right answer to this, but you know, in terms of the, the individual versus that team things, I think some people are very team focused or, and some people can kind of go back and forth and others are just like, mm, you know, I like to do the, the solo thing. Do you feel like you land cleanly one place or the other? I prefer to do the solo thing. Why? Uh, I, I, I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a lot of patience and I feel like I can rely on myself to start and finish things and set goals and try to set out to accomplish those goals. So I'm very picky when I do have partners in the mountains for certain adventures. Um, otherwise I'm just pretty happy doing things on my, on my own. Yeah. That actually, um, leads me to my next question, which is picking partners for these kind of things. Taking aside, obviously like ridiculous fitness and, you know, um, you know, expertise and medical training and all sorts of stuff. What personality traits do you look for when you want to go spend say 30, 40 hours running around the mountains with someone? They have to be optimistic. They have to, um, they have to be able to suffer and suffer well with a good attitude. So that's where the optimism plays in because you can have all kinds of highs and lows out on those really long endurance adventures. But if you're not having a good time, then why, why are you even out there in the first place? You know, <laughs> um, I also need someone who has the same risk margin as I do. So we generally have to be comfortable soloing the same kind of grade of like low fifth class rock mm -hmm. um have to have the same attitude about wildlife and what we're comfortable doing so those end up being pretty important things and i think when you you know set out with certain people on shorter adventures you kind of filter out who's going to work with you on really long long days and who's not and um I don't know. Yeah. Some of my best friends are, are my partners in the mountains and it's just incredible. And it's not to say that, you know, people who don't have the same risk margin, I can't go out in the mountains and have a good time with them. I totally do. But when you're doing really big endurance adventures or trying to go for records and you have a partner, you have to be pretty picky about who that partner is and 
also understand that you, especially if you're soloing, you have to understand that you could die and that person is making their own decisions for themselves, but you also have their back yep. and you, ha you have to think that same way. Like everyone, it, you got to be like fully in and understand those risks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, I was going to ask you about how you sort of vet, but you you kind of alluded to it with just maybe doing some shorter things and, and sort of feeling somebody out. And yeah, I'd imagine just, you know, I guess maybe have you had situations where maybe the the first few outings or what have you didn't work, but you but you sort of work through it with somebody or is it just sort of like once it doesn't work, you just you say, all right, I'm moving on and finding somebody else? Uh, yeah, I have gone out on big adventures with people who I've needed to rescue and or get them out of the situation safely um it might not have you know uh quite call it a rescue but you know we were pretty much committed to a certain section of of a bridge line and had to get them out safely um so i've i've made mistakes before with with certain people um maybe bringing people who are a little too confident in their abilities out and then you realize that they don't really know what they're doing um and i have dropped people who said they were going to pace me on certain sections um and been like hey you know what you're not moving fast enough i'm sorry but i have to leave you here and i'm going to go on and that's a hard thing to do but you know when you're trying to go for a record sometimes that's what you have to do totally um but yeah i think most of the time like especially in the tetons here there is a certain level of ability that most people have who go in the mountains. And so it, I think it's a pretty safe bet that you're going to have generally pretty good partners for a lot of daily shorter outings. Um, and then we start pushing that like 18 hour to 24 hour mark. That's when you really see what people are made of. Um, and, yeah, I think that's all I can say about that so far. <laughs> no, that's great. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, and to those longer affairs, you know, when we were talking in prep for this conversation today, you know, you had told me that, you know, one of your skills is that you're pretty good with not sleeping for long periods of time and you can, you can sort of just plow through. But then you also told me, uh, that you're a very good sleeper and you need a lot of sleep. So, so in terms of getting ready for say a 24, 36 hour adventure, are you just stacking hours of rest or how does it, how do you train for that, uh, sleeplessness or is that just something that comes naturally to you? Yeah. I, you know, I know people who train for sleep deprivation. I personally don't think that does you any favors because you're just depriving yourself of sleep. I mostly just sleep a whole lot before I do something. And then it's the mental aspect that carries you through. Cause you just get so psyched on what you're doing. It's like, all right, I'm going to stay awake and then let's rock and roll, you know, for like the next 72 hours, we're just going to plow through and then sleep afterwards. Um, but yeah, that's, I feel like that's kind of like, <laughs> like not sleeping for a couple of nights before going to burning man. I'm not really sure what that's, that's going to do for you. No, other than make you twitchy and edgy. Um, and then in terms of, you know, characteristics, because obviously you, to do what you do, you've got to spend a lot of time training, I'd imagine. And it's a big part of who you are, but obviously you have other parts of you. And do you look for the same characteristics in your friends that are, you know, and like, you know, when you think about the holistic people that are around you in your community, do a lot of them 
have the same characteristics and traits as your adventure partners, or are they just, are you swing the completely other way to have a, have a, um, you know, a, a different group of people around you? I'd say the people who are around me, all of my friends, no matter what they do, what their background is, they're all really positive people. Uh, they all like to be outside, although a lot of my really good friends don't do anything similar to what I do. I mean, they like to be outside. They like to hike. They like to ski, but they're not interested in endurance. Um, a lot of them I've never even been to the top of a mountain with. Um, and, you know, I just think that they're great people. And every one of my friends brings something amazing to the table. And I don't I, lo I love my community. Um, I love my friend group. I love having dinner parties with them. I love drinking wine with them. And no matter what their background is, I think about them when I'm out alone in the mountains. And it gives me that extra push, that extra like mental hug I need when I'm when I'm scared out there. Yeah, so. I I think that's I think I stumbled upon um, you know, some of your videos of some of your adventures where, you know, you were super candid and vulnerable, like where you got the shit scared out of you and, you know, you could see it in the video. I mean, you were emotional and, and, um, you know, I, I appreciated that sort of honesty. I mean, I think there's a, it, it makes it real. Like, again, as someone who my longest run ever was 10 mile loop around Jenny Lake, I think back in the day. Right. And it's like, you know, you get these visions of what it must be like, or you see people's pictures. Right. But it's like, that got real, real quick as a, as an outsider. So, um, yeah, I'd imagine it's, um, yeah, you must go through the full range of emotions, uh, 40 miles in. Um, but I want to ask you a question about something. I think I had stumbled upon on another one of your podcasts, which is, you know, the fact that you run without any music, which I think is awesome. And, you know, I'd imagine it helps you stay connected to what you're doing and be really, you know, it, you know, in the moment, in the flow. But if you were to pick three songs uh, for an adventure, I know you won't do it, but what would be the three songs on the Kelly soundtrack? Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, if I were trying to listen to some music in the middle of a huge event where I needed to try to cultivate like a badass attitude, um, it would probably be songs from, this is going to sound kind of strange, but uh, like ski videos, ski movies, because I used to watch so many of those back when I was trying to be like a hardcore snowboarder. And it it, it just like gets me like really psyched up, especially because I have so many incredible friends who are professional skiers and snowboarders, and they're so inspiring with what they, with what they can do. So it, if I can pick like a song from a video where I'm like, oh my God, like I've got some friends in this film, like they're just throwing down super hard and I take some of the music from that and I listen to it. Um, I'm I'm coming up with specifics. Sorry, I just had to like give you that background before. Um, oh, and I completely put you on the spot. So if you don't have actual songs, it's totally fine. Um, but I, it popped into my head. I'm like, I wanna know what her soundtrack is. And I, I can resonate with that because I definitely remember the few TGR movies that were in play when I first moved to Jackson. And then those, those, even the segments of who the particular skier was and the song, and just that would be in my mind as I'm hiking up the pass or, you know, on a taking to the tram up for, for a big powder day. And it's just like that, those, those sort of soundtracks for your life. So those were, those were a few of mine too. Okay. I have, I have three songs I can give you. All right. What do you got? Um, all right. I have run boy run by Woodkid. 
Okay. Um, from a from a ski film, uh, Young Blood by The Naked and Famous, also from a ski film, and Paper Planes. <laughs> who's who's and, that? Uh, um, <laughs> Mia. Oh, oh, good one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, those songs just like get me hyped up, and I'm All like, right. okay. So some of those I'll listen to on the way to a trailhead before I do a big run. Um, but yes, you're right. I have a strict no music role in the wilderness. Well, it makes sense. So I'm going to give you three as I was uh, sort of thinking about our conversation today. And obviously we don't know each other that well, even though we have a, a whole bunch of people all in common. Uh, we never really crossed paths in Jackson. But I thought of three songs for you. Um, so um, the first one is uh, Wild Child by Black Keys. If you haven't come across that one, I think it's great. It has this very like rhythmic uh, beat to it that I was like, you know, you just see running across the Teton crest, right? Um, then you've got uh, Thunder Kiss 65 by White Zombie because it's got like this dirty, raw, like crazy, like, you know, punk aggro thing, artistic. And I know some of your art sort of has at times can feel kind of dark and interesting right and then the last one was um it popped onto my music as i was driving to tahoe yeah over the weekend was chris stapleton's devil always makes me think twice because it's got this like twangy wyoming kind of feel and he talks about you know drinking whiskey and you know and uh making uh suspect choices so put those in your put those in your playlist i definitely will i'll listen to him tomorrow while i while i go running all right, let me know. Let me know how I did with your uh, with with my music curation. <laughs> for sure, no, I'm excited. Um, so what's coming up for you? And and obviously you've got your hands in in the art world, in the climbing world. Oh, actually, you know what? I wanted to ask a question. Um, you know, you love snowboarding, you love climbing, you love being in the mountains. Have you ever dipped your toe into say like snowboard mountaineering or any mountaineering with some you know aspect of kind of putting all those all those sports together? Yeah, a little bit in the Tetons. Um, seeing up in the park, there's a little bit of, you know, mixed mixed sport. A little little bit of technical technical climbing up, a little bit of snowboarding down. But generally speaking, I get cold really easily, so I tend to keep my my snowboard activities limited to I don't know, maybe like six hours. Once it gets past there, I just I don't know. I have a really hard time warming up when I get cold. So. Um, yeah, and and that being said, I don't have any big goals snowboard mountaineering wise because because of that reason. Um, but I would say that if I could keep myself super warm the way some of my friends can, I would probably be out there all the time, all day long. But yeah, like I said, I get cold easily and I don't I don't want to frostbite my toes. <laughs> Makes sense. I I will admit embarrassingly so that I invested in a pair of heated socks this winter. Uh, nice and uh took them up to my cat skiing trip in canada and they were a lifesaver and um yeah they were stupidly expensive and a really damn good choice uh since i've been frostbiting my toes and race fit ski boots since i was lord knows how old so uh yeah um and i guess you can buy heated vests and heated gloves and heated whatever but that'll probably slow you down um so in terms of um what's coming up for you and obviously I know you do a lot of amazing runs and you put together, uh, various adventures and, and, um, 
yeah, whatever level you want to speak it to it. Cause I know you want to, you might want to keep some of this stuff under your, under your vest or under your vest, under your hat until you do it. But what's, uh, what's coming up for you, whether it's in the art world or in the running or the climbing, uh, aspect of your life. Well, art wise, I am very, very slowly working on a companion book to the wildlife in the Tetons book. And it's going to be a children's guidebook to the birds that we have here. So like I said, slowly working on that one. Um, running wise, I've got some goals for this summer. Um, I would like to throw down some fast times on some of the local mountains here in the park. I, I'm going to try to throw down a fast time on the Grand Teton, I think. Um, I don't think that it's possible in any way for me to beat the women's fastest time on the Grand Teton. It's incredibly fast, but it's, you know, my home mountain range, and I would love to at least try to throw down a personal fast time on the Grand. So that's one of them. Um, I'd like to drop my time on a couple other peaks because I'm pretty sure, like I said, I can go back and do it faster. I'd like to go back and possibly repeat the Wind River High Route because I know that I can do it faster. I know exactly where I screwed up last time, and uh, I'd like to see if I can do a cleaner run. And then I've got a couple other link-ups uh, I'm working on with some some friends of mine. So, uh, yeah, we're still trying to figure out if those are actually uh, possible to link up because it might be a little too technical for, for mountain running, but we'll see. Awesome. Well, look, I hope all of your adventures go well. I hope you crush the times and I'm looking forward to that bird book because we will add it to our collection here. And um, I really appreciate you being on the show today. It's great to get to connect and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your Valentine's Day. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it was a pleasure speaking and a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. Be well. <laughs> the Trailbreaker podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Morey. More interviews and videos can be found at AaronFeinberg.com.